Alright, so you're going to learn a lot in this session. We're going to talk about how social media is expensive, not free. We're going to learn about the ultimate crack dealer, how Facebook expects you to use it forever, and the twisted social media retroposity rule, social pandering, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, and a few other things as well. So get ready to open your mind so that you can see what is really going on. Social media is extremely expensive. It is not free. And so while you can go and join these different platforms free of charge, they don't have a membership fee, there's no $10, $50 a month to pay. But as you're going to find out, they are not actually free of charge. Many of our consumer products that we have in our lives come from China, and they are cheap for us to buy because many of the costs are outsourced overseas. So there are often environmental costs, there are costs on the cultures that the products are, are produced, costs on other people's well-being, there's people killing themselves because they hate their jobs. All of these are costs that we don't see. We just buy something and we get it. And that's with consumer products, physical things. But in the same way, in a similar way, social media appears to be free because you don't pay for it up front. But it turns out to have many costs. And when you look at all these costs, the use of social media turns out to be an extremely expensive habit. So it doesn't cost you money up front. There's no monthly fee or charge. But as the saying goes, you don't get something for nothing. You don't get something for nothing. There are no free lunches. So how do we pay for social media? You pay with your time. Time is money. So the time spent using social media, which by the way profits the companies, yeah, you're basically working for free for them so that they can sell your information to other people and sell your attention to advertisers. So you're working for them for free and your time spent on those things could have been going to something more useful, but instead you're basically logging in for the Facebook factory. You pay with your attention, giving attention to that, consuming that information, that form of entertainment, low-value entertainment. You pay by destroying your capacity to focus because one of the strange and dark side effects of scrolling down news feeds is it messes with our capacity to think clearly because we're consuming lots and lots and lots and lots of information in an unhealthy way that's basically fragmenting our attention span, right? And if you can't focus, then you can't be creative and can't be successful. It's very, very difficult to get anything done if your focus is shattered. You also pay by losing time that could be invested in worthwhile pursuits. You pay perhaps the biggest 
price by feeling anxious and stressed and building an addiction that they want you to have. You also pay by lack of sleep, lack of relaxation time, which can lead actually to expensive health problems down the road. So the consequence of all these different addictive behaviors overall is that it messes with our mental and emotional well-being, which can also cause physical problems. It can cause problems in our relationships. It can cause problems of how much time we've lost because the average person is now spending more and more time on these tools instead of doing productive things like writing a book or spending time with their family or doing things that would actually move them forward and help others. And so there are many ways that social media costs us and all these hidden costs are veiled from us. It's like a veil has been put in front of our eyes so we can't see the loss, the expense that we are investing. And remember, we're not talking about small numbers of time here. We're talking about thousands of hours. We're talking about years over a, over a period of time. Yeah, Over 20 years, people can be spending seven and a half years on these devices. That's a lot of time that could be spent in much more useful and interesting things. So what's been hidden from us is that we're wasting our time. It's very expensive. We think we're having a bit of fun when in fact we are essentially paying through our time, energy and, and investment of our focus to have big companies get our time for free. So essentially we think we're having fun, but we're actually working for big corporate companies, making them rich and influential while we suffer ourselves by building a low level depression and a distracted personality. So we become the unwitting slaves to a hidden business that is fueled from our consumption and participation. If everyone stopped using Facebook today, what would happen? Well, one of the things that would happen is that Facebook would not need all the staff that they currently employ and the companies that they're paying for Facebook would not buy the data and people wouldn't pay for ads. So in other words, if we stop working for free for Facebook, if everyone just gave up using Facebook and social media in general, they would go bankrupt. Because we, the consumers, are the ones who are fueling the growth. So how does Facebook become so addictive? The ultimate crack dealer. Facebook, and when I say Facebook, it also includes Instagram and all these other accounts. They all have a similar thing, but I think Facebook is the, is the oldest and most sophisticated, and so we're talking a lot about Facebook. Facebook and social media prevents solving problems that it pretends to solve. So let's take an example. Many people say that they have used Facebook to provide them a lifeline to others or in an otherwise dreadful, painful, stressful, boring life. In other words, their life is not a happy one and they are not connecting with others in a truly loving way in their own lives. And therefore, 
To make up for this need, this lack, Facebook is a way of getting the connections that they're deprived of in real life. In other words, Facebook has now become a substitute for the real thing. And Facebook company itself, Mark Zuckerberg, in one of his recent uh, presentations, he basically said that their big job is to improve community. They, they quoted that from the 1970s, people have been losing out on communities. Communities and clubs and groups have been declining since the 1970s. And he was basically saying, oh, isn't that so terrible, this, all this decline in groups? We're going to step in and help everyone have community with our new apps and our new different gadgets. And I did some research into why the groups have been declining from the 1970s. And do you know what the reason is? After extensive research, people discovered that the main culprit in the decline of social groups was television. Television. In 1950, only 10% of families had a TV, and by 1959, 90% did. And TV was originally mostly consumed by people with lower education, and people with higher education were more interested in other things than watching TV. But then, sooner or later, everyone got addicted to it. And because they were watching television for longer periods of time, they didn't have time to connect with other human beings. So since, you know, since the 70s or since really the 60s, television has been taking time away from real connection with others. So social media isn't the first technological advancement that has taken people away from each other and onto the screen. So TV, we already know, has been doing this for a long time. So can you see the absurdity, the irony of Facebook saying that there's this terrible decline, which they don't tell you is as a result of television, and we're going to fill the gap. How? By creating <laughs> apps and devices for people to spend more time on their devices and less time with other people in real life. <laughs> yeah, isn't that ridiculous? So people who use Facebook instead of meeting with actual humans, what happens? And I know many people who do this. It would seem that Facebook's providing a wonderful service, offering connections and upliftment to those who are unhappy. And to some degree, this is little bit true yeah some people say oh you know it's really good i can't talk to anyone now i can talk to people and the internet i'm not saying the internet's all bad there's definitely some benefits to certain things however sadly facebook simply is unable to truly and honestly provide real experiences that we need to be happy It can only offer a mirage. And what's worse is that the really dark part of it, Facebook's fake substitute actually prevents people from changing their lives. So tune into this. People use it because of decline in social interactions. They use television for that reason, Facebook for that reason. But by using it, 
it actually deprives them and de prevents them from changing their lives. Why is this possible? Why does this happen? Because if someone is getting just enough of a kick from using Facebook, they are often disinclined to face up to the things that are wrong with their lives and change them. So in the past, the wife of an abusive husband, for example, might pick up the bottle to calm her nerves in an attempt to cope with the toxic situation she's found herself in. And in today's world, she might not pick up the bottle because she can just pick up her phone. Right? People definitely use their phone to ease their nerves. That's mainly what cell phones do. Is they provide people distraction from their feelings. So you, instead of getting drugs and alcohol, you can just pick up the phone, get a little kick, get a little distraction, and then sort of forget that life is a problem. Watch a movie or whatever. So nowadays, people can simply escape into a virtual world for a time and pretend that everything's okay. Someone who had a stressful dead-end job in the past may have tried to numb the pain with weekend parties and other forms of distraction, and many people still do this, but now they can just escape the grind hundreds of times for a brief moment simply by picking up their phone. So there's all these methods to distract ourselves, right? Facebook's like giving us a little crack hit, a little hit, a little kind of dopamine, a little sense of pleasure, right? Again and again and again, that's what it does. But what would be much better than these little drug addictions, yeah, these little dopamine kicks, little chemical distractions, what would be better is to actually invest our time and energy to change the situation that we don't like in our lives and get a better job or find things of meaning and value instead of using escapism to hope that it goes away. So in other words, social media is, is to a large degree a coping mechanism instead of a solution, except it's told to us that it is, in fact, the solution. It's actually part of the problem. So the problem is lack of real connection, lack of meaning, lack of happiness, lack of all the good things that we want. And it tries to pretend that it's going to solve these problems when, in fact, it makes them worse. So without Facebook, we would be reminded every day of what's wrong with our lives and be forced to deal with it. But now, by having a mild sense of relief to the addiction, Facebook can make things just about bearable enough to postpone the hard choices and the deep work that would actually make our lives better. So for example, I didn't used to use Facebook hardly ever because it didn't exist, you know, and then I used it a tiny bit when, when I first got it in 2007. But my life at that time was a bit of a mess and I had to face myself and my life. And because I wasn't using social media and all these different tools to distract myself, I ended up changing my real life. I moved to Hawaii and I got out of this whole situation that was really unpleasant for me. But if I hadn't had the courage to do that and I hadn't been able to face myself because I was distracting myself I might have just spent all the time on the phone and just watching stuff and pretending everything was okay and then that would have basically held me in a trap so the fact that we didn't have these distraction options 
in a sense, forces us to face up with reality and get on with it. Whereas Facebook gives us an opportunity to avoid reality and make things just about bearable instead of making them awesome. Awesome would be better than bearable, don't you think? So it's easier to go on Facebook and get a dopamine kick and feel connected to others, even though it's fake and superficial. It's easier to do that than it is to file a file for a divorce or quit your job or give it up an addiction or move across the country or go deep or bring about great ideas in your life. So real change is hard and it requires time, patience and some level of stress. Anyone who's changed their life and had breakthroughs knows that there's a few challenges along the way. But social media is the opposite. It gives us a quick, fast, instant gratification. It's like little crack, little little doses of crack cocaine, just a little bit, little bit, little bit, while depriving us of the deep work we actually need to do to change our real lives. So while Facebook indeed does offer a cheap, fast way to feel connected, it is the very thing that can stop us from biting the bullet and making our lives great. And this brings us to Facebook Immortal. Did you know <laughs> that Facebook considers its platform so important that it expects you to use it forever. It was Wednesday morning and Ariel had a terrible feeling that something bad had happened. I remember she woke up and she just felt something was really bad. She'd had a dream about an old friend and the day just somehow felt wrong. I also woke up feeling strangely panicked but I couldn't put my finger on why I felt that way. Around 11 o'clock, Ariel came into my room and she told me, I have a really bad feeling about Michelle. I just went on Facebook and it sounds like something terrible had happened. I'm sure it's okay, I said, but just in case, let's send her a text message. So I sent her a text message that said, Hey Michelle, hope you're okay. Is everything all right? And I never heard back. In fact, no one would ever hear back from her again. She went out that morning into the Nepali coast on a kayak. And as she was kayaking around the corner of the coast, a huge swell capsized the boat before she knew it, she was on the rocks. Her friend, who was with her, told her to get off the rocks right now because another wave was coming. But she was afraid and she got knocked unconscious onto the rocks. By the time the A&E arrived, she was already dead. Michelle was an avid Facebook user. She posted almost every day, probably many times a day. I remember being with her and she was always taking pictures and sending messages. And after her death, her body was destroyed. And yet her Facebook memory remains. In fact, Facebook expects us to immortalize our lives 
using their service. And I discovered this fact that Facebook wants us to use their service when I tried to delete my account. I got to a page and I'll read to you what it says. And you might think, what's wrong with immortalizing your image? Well, it's a little bit dark because Facebook, remember, benefits from us all using it. Yeah, it's a big company. It should be called Big Corp Surveillance Company, right? So here's what it says. I'm going to read this to you on the page where you try and deactivate your account. The very first thing it says before you can even even think about deactivating your account is this. Your legacy account. A legacy contact is someone who you can choose to manage your account after you pass away. They'll be able to do things like pin your post on your tagline, respond to a new friend requests and update your profile. They won't be able to post as you or see your messages. Add, and it has a button to add someone. Your legacy contact won't be notified until your account is memorialized. But you'll have the option to send them a message right away. If you don't want a Facebook account after you pass away, you can request to have your account permanently deleted instead of choosing a legacy account. Now, this may sound mundane and not a big deal, but when you read into this, what is this really saying? It's saying that we assume you're going to want to keep your Facebook account after it has been memorialized and you can request to have your account permanently deleted instead if you really want, but that's not what they expect you to do. Then it says deactivating your account. Deactivating your account will disable your profile and remove your name and photo from the things you've shared on Facebook. Some information may still be visible to others, such as your name, friends, and people you sent, etc., etc. Now, if you try and delete your account, you can't just delete it. It says you can request for it to be deleted, right? So that and you, it's very hard to find the button to delete the account. By the way, you know, they hidden it away. It's not at all easy to find. Now the tacit assumption here is that first of all, you want to leave your legacy on Facebook and have someone manage it. They assume you want to do that, and secondly. The only reason that you may want to close your account is because you've died. Right now, this is pretty shocking because you get to these settings, by the way, when you want to try and get out of Facebook, this is what you see. And they're assuming that the only reason someone would be even mad enough to deactivate or delete their account is because they've dead. Yeah, and but what they're essentially saying is any sane person would want to use Facebook until their death. Obviously, of course, everyone's going to use Facebook until they die, and then when they do die, they're going to want to keep it going anyway. Right now, I don't think it's just Facebook who thinks this way. Other people using Facebook think that way as well. So here's a big company that profits from all our data. And we're working for them for free, and they've got us believing that it's so important that we want to immortalize our legacy 
whatever that means, using their platform. That is how important it is seen to be.